0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the JU Israel Teachers Lounge, where it's our job to help you feel connected to Israel. But today, we're going to maybe talk about things a little bit more far afield and the place Israel has in it. We were actually planning, uh, well, first of all, let me just say that I'm here with, as always, co-host Alan Goldman. How you doing, Mike? Interesting day. It is an interesting day. Lots of fun for everyone. Um, we were planning on a di- we were planning on talking about archaeology and the role of modern Israel, and we'll get to that po- podcast episode eventually.
1: When we thought it was going to be a boring day, Hillary was going to win, and, you know, okay, not much to talk about there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's feeling kind of like the last few weeks, like, oh, we get it, the debates are over, let's just have the election, let's just cut to the chase. And then today, uh, the odds were beaten, and people are surprised. And we've observed that a lot of people... Let's just say a lot of people are feeling a lot of things, some very happy, some very sad. I will tell you that in my years of talking to people about politics, I've heard jokes about people being in tears. I've heard the joke about running away to Canada for a lot of cycles. This is the first time I've heard people refer to the word vomit. So there's there's definitely things going on in this election that are unusual, and we thought maybe a little perspective.
1: And we also thought that symbolically uh, we would uh, do the podcast in Gush on where we're seeing an English cake because we know that Trump and the Republican Party have put a very clear um, uh, um, platform for uh, Israel and the Palestinians, which is very different than the previous uh, few last few presidents.
0: Is it? I, I honestly don't. I don't know that there's a coherent platform, so we'll see. I don't know.
1: No, they wrote it in the the the, the Republican National Right Convention's uh, platform of uh, not pushing the two state and, and not to focus on the settlements as before. So,
0: well, now we're having uh, coffee and salad in exactly. in a in, uh, in a settlement suburb, a lovely settlement suburb. Uh, and oh, we're not in the mall. We're almost, uh, we were in the mall. We moved. <laughs> that's true. I had to buy some. Uh, I was low on some uh, stocks, so we stopped at the mall. Uh, but moving on, let's start by talking about uh, a little perspective on people who are freaking out one way or the other. We're, we're old men, Alan. I think, I think that's fair to say. Can you give a little perspective for people who are, think that the, either the house is burning down or that the Messiah has arrived?
1: Well, first of all, you, you have a government that works in a certain way. It's a stable government that has works. And, of course, the Republicans seem to have won the Congress and the Senate, which I think they say, I think that's the first time since 1920s that the Republicans have controlled the House, both Houses and the presidency. But I'm not sure you can check me up on
0: that. They're also going to uh, fill up the Supreme Court. Yeah, and, that, and with the
1: Supreme Court, but it, but America is based on the idea of balance of powers and balance of government. And it, it, a lot of people are saying, I even saw it on the radio now. Oh well, now what, Obama can do whatever he wants in the last two months. American politics doesn't work that way. Not a, he's not a king. Uh, you know, the American government structure is very structured so that that um, uh, that it is the will of the people, hopefully. Um, and that's what we're, that 's what we 're seeing this is the will of the people, and Trump did say in his in his victory speech today that he 's the president of all of the American people. I know that 's what you 're supposed to say, but he, that's, you
0: know, but he did that yeah i don 't take that for granted yeah. that he said the thing that a president is supposed to say about being inclusive and uh, I, I agree with you, I think that the system of government in a democracy is designed to allow not only different opinions to be expressed in discussion, but in practice, we'll vote somebody in. That's why you see a constant sort of pendulum swing in American politics. You know, after the Bush administration, 2008 was a sweep election where the Democrats took everything, and all the punditry was discussing is this the end of the Republican Party, which they're actually still discussing in a funny way, but in a very different way because now they control all aspects of government. So... I think I think you have to, with uh, with a little perspective, you realize that if you can trust the structure that the founders James Madison and company put together, uh, it can only be messed up so much before somebody will check it. So and which,
1: it, by the way, people could argue that that's exactly what happened in this election that that, that the Obama those who were Obama administration was way off in many different factors, whatever they are, and therefore here came the check and balance, which is the swing the other
0: way. I I think it's unquestionable. I think when people look at, and you'll very often hear politicians say, well, America's really like a center left country or a center right country. I I don't think America or Israel or people in general are deeply ideological. People listen to what's being argued. They'll pick the one they think is best without really how else do you explain the fact that America went from Bush to Obama to Trump is it that they've all ideologically gone through such huge shifts in the masses? How did anyone vote for Barack Obama and Donald Trump, two entirely different people with such different worldviews and such different characters?
1: And we see the same thing in Israel. If you look in the 90s, right, went from a Robin Perez to a very sharp... Change to uh, Netanyahu government in the 1990s and then and then back to more uh, of, of a center left let 's
0: say and then you know you're, you're well people have forth, said that to know? me. they said, well, obviously the Israeli population swings very right because Netanyahu has been in power for so long, and the person who said that to me was from the United States, and I said, Oh, so in your country the people just flip flop ideologically no i don 't I don't think people vote most the masses i don 't think vote ideologically, they vote based on some psychological personal, all sorts of funny little uh, little markers that we have in our makeup that allow us to say, well, I think I'm going to invest in this person for the next four years.
1: And I think that that because we're voting for four years, um, one of the advantages is, and it could also be a disadvantage, is you're not really thinking long term that much. You know, you're thinking, okay, this is my situation now. This person is offering these potentials, and I'm going to go with it. And, and somewhere in the back of your mind, you know, well, more well, in Israel, you know, in a couple of years you'll be able to vote again. But in America you figure I'll have four years, but even in a couple of years I'll have Congress to vote for, I'll have Senate to vote for, and I can change my mind, and we'll see that because you'll see that's exactly what happened in Obama, right? After the sweep of 2008, there was a swing back in the 2010 Senate, you know, Congress and Senate races and then that and that, happened, that happens all the time. So I think you're actually right, the people are, are voting on much more Concrete. What's happening to me now? How am I perceiving my life, and how am I perceiving my potential and the potential for my children?
0: And I think I think that that's what Madison anticipated in creating a system that it would it would it would self voters would self correct if we keep the powers checked and balanced, and eventually nobody can do that much damage uh, in office. So we always have to relax. And I would also argue that part of what makes a democracy... Look, I, I don't think anyone's going to claim that um, the American systems of government are running on all cylinders. Uh, when you look at Congress, both houses, you're talking about constant gridlock. Supreme Court has... Which
1: may change now. Which may change now with a Republican majority.
0: It may or may not. Mm-hmm. It is a Republican majority. I don't know that the... I don't know if it... it, it it's not a, a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. i it, I don't know that it's... I don't know that the Democrats can't slow everything down, and I don't anticipate that they'll be ready to play ball after.
1: Or that government will become ultimately extremely efficient overnight.
0: Yeah, I I think it's going to take a while to dig out of this ditch, but the Supreme Court is dysfunctional. I would argue that what we've seen from the FBI, no matter what your political position is, the FBI's behavior has been at best unusual, but I would say pretty dysfunctional.
1: What's going to happen there? That's a good
0: question. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the 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 fact that the public distrusts all the centers of power is because they're not working well. But I would argue that they're not. <clears throat> excuse me. That they're not broken. That's a big difference. The only time the system really broke was during the Civil War. Other than that, the system holds no matter what people do to it. If uh, Andrew Jackson defies the Supreme Court, the system holds. If Richard Nixon breaks. <laughs> it breaks federal law, the system holds. What
1: about Bill Clinton?
0: Bill Clinton <laughs> probably committed perjury. I don't know that that was. So maybe
1: the, but, maybe but, the roosters are coming home to roost now, right?
0: Well, you, the, well, that, that's a different. Now you're getting into the into the weeds of the
1: politics. I'm just, I'm just thrown out, you know.
0: Yeah, there's no question, but no, but it doesn't it doesn't if it doesn't break the system, the system will hold. I would argue that part of why the system is bogged down right now, is because for the system to work, there has to be an atmosphere of respect and civility. That for the various ideas to be bandied about, and for people to honestly choose what makes the most sense, when you have problems that you need to solve, or you have uh, objectives that you want to achieve, and people are sharing ideas on the table, if there's respect and civility, then all ideas should be weighed equally. The reason you have different parties and different perspectives is different perspectives means they'll come up with different ideas. So that's very healthy for the country. Mm. But if those people say, well, I'm right and the other guy's automatically wrong and I have nothing to talk to him about, now your democracy is going to bog down. Um, I would say it's fair to say that for the last, what? Eight years? <laughs> uh, uh, more. More. I, you're saying, is it right? I, I would say Clinton. No, Clinton I would say, I, look. Worked
1: both sides, didn't they? Well, Clinton's worked both sides of
0: the. Bill Clinton managed yeah. to cross the line, work both sides, but the political atmosphere became burn it down. Uh-huh. He's toxic. He's unqualified. He needs to go to jail. Uh, you know, look. Ronald Reagan used to, after work, uh, you know, famously have drinks with Tip O'Neill, the Democratic Speaker of the House. Bill Clinton was not going out for drinks with Newt Gingrich. And that, yeah, well, that, that toxicity, that burned, that treating your political opponent as your enemy is very bad for, and unhealthy for a democracy. And that's, I think, something that we may be getting to the bottom of and we're going to have to, people are going to realize we have to change.
1: And that's, what, that's what's been going on in Israel, certainly. Um, probably since the beginning, right? You can even, even pre-state when you talk about, you know, Begin and uh, Ben-Gurion. Um, bo- bo- back to the Altalina affair, right? Where Ben-Gurion in uh, 48, right? Oh, 48, of course, obviously. Um, you know, orders uh, orders the the army to fire on Jews, uh, uh, Begin's, you know, uh, Irgun, bringing arms in, right? And that... Amount of uh, animosity stayed for even till today for some in the Israeli uh, political system, and 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 certainly when we came back and we just had Rabin's uh, Yeretzite, right? Um, that that was the claim. That was the claim. The blaming the Netanyahu and the right for the for the um, assassination. Again, getting out of any facts, yes or no, conspiracy theories, is it right, or just creating the climate, but that is often the discussion in Israel about how um, there is that sort of animosity and that enemy sense in terms of politics here sometimes.
0: well, I I will agree with you. I will say that Begin was, of course, the opposite example. Begin, even when his men were killed before his eyes at the Altalena, ordered his men not to fight back because national unity is more important than any whatever our differences are, as deeply felt as they are, as vital as we think these disagreements are, if we fight each other, we're worse off. And he said, think about the Jews of the Second Temple who started killing each other in the middle of a battle against Rome, and that was self-destruction. And,
1: and, and that's why Begin saved the save the state, you could say, really. I really he
0: is, and he, he's the role model. And I agree with you that, that that lesson isn't often taken to heart in Israel and did play a part in the Rabin assassination. But, look, when I was young, I used to wish that Israeli politics will become more like American politics with that civility and respect that was built in. You're my opponent; you're not my enemy, and we'll put our ideas to the test in the field of debate in the House and the Senate, and then we'll vote, and that'll be how we make our decisions. But that, by
1: the way, is I think the old time you know tradition. Certainly in the Talmudic tradition, that's the idea.
0: Oh, it's profoundly Jewish. It's not just American. It's not just democratic. It's fundamentally Jewish. Right. Right? We are the only culture on earth that takes its holiest book and print copies of it with people arguing all over the page about it, what it's actually saying. In other words, no matter how important it is, we have a, a sense that the truth is bigger than any one person's perspective. And so we need a chorus and of the, voices.
1: And the truth and the truth comes out only through that debate. That's right.
0: That's right. You can only begin to have an attempt at seeing the truth when you hear the various voices. So look, I, I would say, and I don't want to sound Pollyannish. Oh, please do. You like when I'm Pollyannish? Uh, I I would say this. We can't change the way our politicians are speaking right away. That takes time in the ballot and, you know, the voting booth and things like that. But we can change our behavior. And I would say as citizens of democracies, which I assume anybody listening to this podcast (laughs) does, we do have actually lots of listeners in North Korea. (laughs) Shout out to them.
1: Hey, we have some in Australia. Come on.
0: We do have an Australia Yes, that's right. The five people who listen to us, I think one of them is in Australia. Uh, But I will say this, that we love everyone who listens to our show deeply and would love to hear from you and what you think. But I would say this, that we have to start changing our behavior individually and we have to start modeling the type of political discourse that we want to see return. And I would even argue for demanding it. In other words, I've been doing something really since the Bush administration. That when I feel that criticism of the president or the administration is too uh, nasty, disrespectful, personal, instead of respectful, I've been telling people, I I don't talk that way about the president. And I would, you know, let's talk about the policy disagreements and criticize him. You do that in the democracy, but civilly and respectfully. And I, I've I've been seeing good results. And and what's nice about that is you go from different. If I did it in a Bush administration and then I'm talking to somebody during the Obama administration, I say, remember when I said that about Bush? Well, now I'm saying it about Obama So, and, and vice versa, like friends who were. So either way on the side of the aisle and people listen, people I've found that in general, people say, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's a good point. I think part of that hyperbolic. Listen, I like Samantha Bee's show. I think it's a good show. She ended her most recent episode by saying, Everyone go out and vote. That way, if we elect Hillary, students studying AP American history won't even have to know that Donald Trump existed. And if you don't go out and vote, then students studying AP Trump may never know that America existed. Now, I know she's a comedian. I don't know that that language is beneficial to... Giving people a sense of belonging in a democratic process. Let's, and and, you know, for a comedian to say that is one thing. But as citizens, let's tone down the rhetoric. Let's respectfully disagree. Let's talk about the politics. Let's assume, let's follow the rabbinic idea of, of giving people the benefit of the doubt and criticize harshly if we feel the need to, but not, but without the rancor and disrespect.
1: So I agree with your plea. I just don't know if it's realistic in the times that we're living where it seems that with the new technology and media and social media that, that, that hyperbolic speech is, is what takes the day. The more, the more extreme, the more, the more it's noticed. And, and that, that even doesn't only affect on the social media and media. You see it in people. Um, I guess that's what you're asking. You're that is against. what I'm that is what I'm you're asking. Against, but I, I, I think that so I would say that I, my point was I don't think it's okay for Samantha B. I don't think because they're the ones. In other words, we also have a concept of dugu sheet or the personal example that these are the people who are looked up to in the world, and they are in fact the ones setting the
0: the, the tone. Well, I, I think there's a deeper problem, and this is a totally separate issue, but I think that um, that satire. The job of the comedian, to, of the jester, has long been to challenge people in power no matter where. And the fact that a lot of at least U.S. satire is now campaigning for yes. a particular side yes. <laughs> w- still will be. Yeah. And that's part of the uh, – the, politics has become an endless campaign. You're always campaigning. It used to be once the election's over, the campaigning ends and the governing begins. And the conversation is constant campaigning. I think that's not helpful satire. But that but we can't fix that. I can't fix that. Right. But I'm one of those, maybe it's Pollyannish. Yeah. I'm one of those like idealistic people who thinks that if we can change our little corner of the world and that spills over enough, then we can make whatever difference we make. It's probably bigger than we think, and it doesn't matter if it is or isn't bigger than we expect, because we, all we can do is make a difference in our little corner. Think globally, act locally.
1: Yeah, there we go. Right? I love that bumper sticker. That was my uh, favorite bumper sticker in college. Um, so let, let's shift the conversation a little bit more towards Israel and that question when two Jews get together, they always, you know, when you're talking politics or this, is it good for the Jews? Um, you know, A, is that a question we should even be asking? And, B, what do, you, uh,
0: what do you think in terms of the Israel stuff? Well, I mean, I, I'm constitutionally bothered by questions like that because I, I think – and part of what we teach in our JU Israel courses, is you always have to look at the big picture, at the bigger context. And ultimately what's good for democracy is going to be good for Jews because it's good. Right. So so that's a bigger question. But if you're talking about – so I, I, I resist that, that question.
1: It's interesting, just popped up on my feed here.
0: The Forward asks, what does it mean to be Jewish in Donald Trump's America?
1: I, I don't even know, like... I don't
0: know, what did it mean to be Jewish in I, Barack Obama's or George Bush's yeah. or... I mean, that's, that's... or Bill Clinton. Like, that's... that's. I think that,
1: but I think they are reacting to it. Look, there's been clearly an uptake in anti-Semitism in this, camp- in this campaign, especially you see the trolling of the journalists is where it has been most... Uh, most um, obvious where it's not even debatable that Jewish journalists have been um, attacked and the numbers are stupendous by people trolling them on the...
0: Uh, well, I, I think you also of, have a phenomenon where in the Western world you have two, a double f- two factors that are coming to, combining together. One of them is that after World War II anti-Semitism became very culturally ugly for a long time. I think that's to a certain extent worn off. And the other is in the internet world, everybody with a voice is crawling up from under their rock and making themselves heard. So we're noticing the ugly underbelly of things that in polite society you don't really encounter. So I, I think that trend is, to me, I, I, is not surprising. Uh, to a Zionist, I would say it shouldn't necessarily be super surprising. It is disturbing. It is disturbing. In 2016, we're starting
1: to look, you know, over our shoulders.
0: Uh Yeah, yeah. And as we were saying earlier, the house is not on fire. I'm not running. I'm not Mr. Panic or Panic Button. But I do believe as a Jew that every Jew who doesn't live in Israel, who lives in the diaspora, should keep an active passport because you never know. Listen, I would put it a different way.
1: By the way, Israelis do the same. <laughs> Israelis have active non- Israeli passports. Many Israelis have European and American passports. Whoever can get an active passport, they have it. I think that's a a realism that the Jewish people have. We have it in our psyche. Um, Get ready to run. You have to have an alternative plan, uh, whether we really do or not. But that's uh, something built in. uh, Yeah,
0: I'm I'm okay having that in in my DNA. I think that's uh, that's sensible.
1: But let's go back to Israel a little bit. What do you think?
0: It's really impossible to know because it's a person without a, a, a genuine political background running the administration, uh, and, and, and it not I doubt is going to have a strong control of the, the State Department. You know, that'll still be centered in Foggy Bottom, and it, it's the people who've been working in the sa- State Department for years and years that'll still kind of do things the same way. The government, the federal government of the United States is a huge, it's not a rowboat, it's an ocean liner. Of bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. of bureaucracy. So when you when you when you get a different captain and he starts to move the steering wheel in one direction, it turns a little, but it, I don't think it, I don't think he's going to make any dramatic differences. You disagree?
1: Uh, I really don't know what to think. You know, I think that the the people who voted him in, which is half of the uh, American uh, population, want to see change. Um, and he clearly said he's coming in to make change, and since he has no political record that we know of, um, it's hard to really know how, how that's going to go. Um, and, uh, you know, is America's pretty much since, you know, December 7th, 1941, 70, just short of, uh, uh, what 75 years ago, a month short of 75 years ago has more or less been the international cop, even as, as Obama, president Obama has backtracked a little bit on that. Um, America has been the international cop and, and has played a major, major role, in, whether Republican or Democrat, on um, in the international scene. Um, and if he's serious about rolling that back, so what is that going to look like?
0: What I think saying? he's serious about rolling that back. But as you were pointing out to me in an earlier conversation, so was, so was Obama, meaning right. their foreign policy might look more similar, even though it comes from a different perspective, than Hillary's and Obama, you know, a a, a hypothetical Hillary presidency would have, because she would be more active presence in the world. But I think that's getting at a different point, which is America is a declining superpower. The 20th century was the American century. The 21st century was almost never going to be. I mean, what are the odds that America entered the 20th century as a minor power? It entered the 21st as the superpower. What were the odds that it's going to enter the 22nd as a superpower? They were never great. And so we're watching that decline. Now, it doesn't matter almost who's in charge because, well, what makes a superpower? That's an interesting question. And if America is a declining superpower, that's my claim. How do you I, define that?
1: Well, that's, that's a good question. How do we define... I mean, well, first of all, obviously, superpower. It means you have your economy, certain civilian economy, certain um, and certain decisions you make to wield that, that power. I mean, America, in terms of... Uh, um, gross national product i mean is
0: you know yeah I, I, a card- with, with a mighty military the most military that history has ever known a superpower is a country that's so overwhelmingly successful that its decisions affect the world and its influence is felt around the world some positively some negatively but it it's the it's you know it's the 800 pound gorilla in the room as america becomes less successful at running itself that that's the that's what's happening.
1: Look, I mean, uh, look, start, I mean, since you're, you're clearly giving a perspective that looks at history, you know, as we as we like to, because of course, there's never been a civilization that that didn't go through their ups and their mighty things and then wane. I mean, that's just the way the world works. Um, and, and then it just means of okay, who takes that place and how does that transition happen?
0: Um. So if we live in a super powerless world, then smaller powers are going to begin to shuffle and compete. And that'll create a very different dynamic. Israel could theoretically, this is what King David did. That's exactly what King David did. He took advantage of the fall of the superpowers to build a little micro kingdom that in the end has had a huge influence on planet Earth and founded our people. So that's cool. So, you know, from a Zionist perspective, in the big picture i think it's good for everyone because i think the future gets better but in the short term i don't know i mean market i i don't know what it means economic whatever's good whatever makes america better and stronger ultimately is going to be good for israel well,
1: and I, should israel be starting to look at other horizons it is such as
0: oh well, israel's been i mean netanyahu has been very consciously building stronger ties with other nations Including, disturbingly, I would say Vladimir Putin. In other words, including non democracies.
1: If you count how many times Netany- Netanyahu has met Vladimir Putin in the last year versus uh, American um, leaders, it's something like four to one, I think. Um, you know.
0: Yeah, I I, I I believe in Sharansky that your that your your system should embrace democracy as a principle uh, to work better.
1: Should uh, mention the book, right? What's his book? The
0: Case for Democracy by Natan Sharansky, it's recommended reading, uh, at least I, I, I think so. Yeah,
1: we both, I think that informs both of our worldview very strongly.
0: I, I, it's an argument that, that you do well when you do good, that, that you treat countries that are good better than countries that are not. And good, I mean, in a moral sense, that give its people liberty and freedom.
1: And that, and that democracies don't fight each other and it brings a more stable world. Um, So uh, those are obviously the things to look at.
0: Look, the system of governments that we have... Here's the thing about the election was a surprise. Good. Get used to surprises. The future is not what you predict it will be. It's always going to be different. What role will we have in making it it different? That's as hard as we work. That's how much the future will look like what we want it to. But it will absolutely look different. And I I do think that as, as what democracies, what the U.S. Constitution does in particular, is it says, how do we create a system of government where liberty of its citizens will not be threatened, where the government can't have enough power to take away individual liberty of its citizens? It does not, there is no system to safeguard maximum justice. How do we make sure it's a place where there's justice throughout the land? I know the pledge says liberty and justice for all. But the system guarantees liberty. It does not guarantee justice. And so that becomes a human pursuit. Said the Bible says, the Founding Fathers left that to the pursuit of citizens. I would argue that the reason liberty works is because it's not dependent on humans. The system uh, assures liberty. It does not assure justice. I'm
1: not sure I'm... Um, grasping the differentiation you're making, I mean, what well, couldn't we argue that without justice for all, you can't have liberty?
0: Well, everyone has liberty to pursue whatever course they want.
1: So, uh, I mean, I guess do, do they have those equal those
0: opportunities? opportunities? No, they do not. So that means there's not there's not justice. In other words, if uh, if the neighborhood I'm born in, if the ethnic group I'm born in, if the you know, America was supposed to be a place of ultimate justice because everyone had equal opportunity. If you work hard, you can get somewhere. I think we all know that that's not true.
1: So you're saying, is this right the way to say? It? So the liberty is something in potential, whereas justice is something in in actuality.
0: No, maybe the opposite. I'm saying liberty means I have rights. The government can't tell me what to do with my life. But in other words. When, when in the Declaration of Independence, it says that I have, I'm guaranteed by my creator with life and liberty, so the Constitution protects that. But it then says pursuit of happiness. In other words, every, and I think what Jefferson meant by that was not, I want to go to Disneyland. It meant everybody can pursue their potential to achieve their, their potential fully. All opportunities are open to anyone. So if you're smarter and you work harder, and you, you can go farther that the constitution does not in any way that i see guarantee and so when you have oligarchies and special interests and the wealthy i think we all have a sense that the system is rigged now by people who have power so opportunities are not equally spread out that's what the system has to yeah
1: i mean that was probably always the case i mean it was always the case.
0: I mean, it, it was, but I guess the pie was big enough that that you know everybody was taking pieces. When? When? Well, when? okay. I, I, obviously, I'm talking about white men.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm saying, right? Okay. Yeah. But that
0: is easy because then you have a very
1: small, smaller group, and then there's all you're always going to have people who are it's certainly a democracy of the have-nots, right?
0: Well, and what's happened? What's happened now is is that by enfranchising women and minorities, white men feel that they've lost their opportunities, and that's what this election is, to a certain extent, about them saying.
1: Uh, By the way, if they're noticing, it's not just white men, women, women also, right? Uh, That quite a significant amount of women voted, where there's this assumption they're gonna vote.
0: I, I guess what I'm saying, in the attempt to create a place of equal justice, there are people feeling left out, and now they feel injustice. And I don't know that the system can fix that. Justice for all, liberty and justice for all—that's hard. And I don't know that the Constitution is designed to achieve that. Mm. All right, that's probably way too heady and it has yeah. nothing to do with the Middle East. But, uh, but, uh, sorry about that little discourse. And we want to wrap up soon because we don't want good. to go—we I mean, don't want to go too long like we did last no, week. Sorry. Yeah. Well, we got all that. We got all excited with Benji here, and but now he's teaching, so. Uh, that's right. No guest speaker this week. So any other thoughts about what this means for the Middle East? I mean, the good news is we're going to see how his plan to defeat ISIS in a minute. <laughs> Did I sense a little sarcasm there? Maybe a little. Uh, I don't know. But we'll see. I, I don't know. I mean, a, a transactional foreign policy, what does that mean for the Middle East? I don't know. What is way,
1: I mean, and the, But the, what you say is, uh, is what we're, the other point we were giving before is as much as, as, as uh, President-elect Trump to get used to saying that President-elect Trump may be to be an isolationist. As we've seen often, what happens is that the world has different plans that you have to, and you have to react. Um, whether it be 9/11 and you know in America, or right now, President Obama ran on getting out of the Middle East, basically, and America is once again. And he did until now. He's, America is once again bombing Iraq.
0: Well, I think we forget that George W. Bush ran on a relatively isolationist platform and found that he could not get out because of the you know what 9-11 changed in the world. So I don't know that isolationism really works in the 21st century. So I don't know how successful President-elect Trump will be at making any of that happen. He also has this sort of robust punchback attitude of like, well, if they did this, I have to knock them out. So he's sort of the, an isolationist hawk in some ways, which isn't really necessarily a like I don't know what that... But it's true, but it just doesn't... It's 100% right. I
1: just, it's a... We're just... I guess this will be very interesting next, uh, at least the first 100 days. I can't wait to, for, for the first 100 days, right? To talk about the first 100 Well, he days. said he's going to yeah. fix
0: everything and change the infrastructure and everything will be Class A in the first 100, so... At any rate, what would you... How would you sum up our talking points today from this episode? I don't
1: know. I don't even know. Um... Uh, well, we started, we started with, um,
0: don't panic. The system, the system, the system tends to hold. However, learn to live with surprise because you can't predict the future. So expect it to happen again. There you go. That was a good job. (laughs) You clearly have your mind, uh, on the game right now. I, I don't know that it's on the game, but look, after 2008, the Republican Party is going to be destroyed. And then 2010, the Democrats were swept out of Congress. I mean, this is just this is how things work in a democracy. Um, be positive, be respectful, and uh, let's make a difference in the world. And let's remember that, that ultimately it's not governments that make the world better. It's the people that make the world better. And that's our job. So it's a good reminder that if we're waiting for our leaders to fix things for us. By the way, either way, whoever you voted for right? If you voted for a Republican, then that's, that's their argument. And if you voted for a Democrat, then you're saying, well, I guess I can't count on government. So the Republicans, I like, guess we're right. <laughs> and now we're going to see if they're right about a whole lot of things because they totally control the government. So let's see if the Republicans can prove their case now. But either way, uh, it's a good reminder that the world gets better when we make it better. We don't wait for our leaders to make it better. We make it better. And we have to have more of a, not only respectful and civil society, but a, A society based on the idea of giving and volunteering. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So take it as a good learning moment for patriotism and appreciation of democracy and the hope that it brings to the world. Goodbye from Gushet Zion. See ya, which is sort of in a democracy. (laughs) (laughs) Take it easy everyone enjoy. Have an ice cream. That's what I did. and It'll make you feel better. If you're happy, it'll celebrate. If you're not happy, it'll make you feel better. Bye-bye.